fundamentally different view of America's role in the world. The sort of the idea that that American uh, leadership geopolitically is some sort of you know in his in his view it's a garrison kind of mentality. You know, you pay up or we're getting out. Uh, but there's also this though. He looks at what happened uh, in. The, in Great Britain, and he says, you had Brexit vote over there. Nobody thought that leave would triumph and leave triumph. And they were part of a movement, and I'm leading a movement, and the movement is yeah. motivated by the same factors. No, you're That's absolutely what he says. Right. You're right, and he is right. In this sense, there are, on both sides of the Atlantic, a large number of people who are extremely angry about the status quo. And you can... They think globalization has left them behind. They think globalization has left them behind. They think their political system is rigged in favor of the elites. There are individual causes that differ, but broadly this anger that comes partly and in, in large part from a sense of stagnant living standards, economic insecurity, a desire to sort of... That, that immigrants or feeling that immigrants have a lot to do with the problem, that is shared on both sides of the Atlantic. And I think that's very serious. And we, we need to separate revulsion against some of the excesses of Donald Trump with from the underlying concerns that are animating many of his supporters. And they're very real and very genuine. And they have to do with economic insecurity and they have to do with the widening gap. Economic insecurity, the, the, a sense of cultural the insecurity. Of the, middle class. the middle class is changing. The, the racial complexion of the United States is changing. All of those things are, are part of it. But I think there are important areas where policy has to respond. And I think it is insufficient to say, you know, there's nothing we can do for these people. We, there has to be a huge amount of, of serious economic change. But I think the important thing is to have that conversation. And you can't have that conversation if people are hurling insults at each other. Yeah. And you would have hoped, I mean, you would hope that there would have been a, a real debate about it. Absolutely. And we realize mistakes have been made and we may have been part of the mistakes. Absolutely. You know? And that's and that exactly all institutions the conversation in America, we yeah. should all be having. But you, it is very hard to have that conversation when you can't even get people to go beyond the insult hurling or even an agreement on the basic facts. But you're absolutely right. That's the conversation you have to have. And if you look at this political campaign, there's been remarkably little discussion of any kind of policies. Now, it may be that you know, Hillary Clinton has a ton of policies, but they haven't been really subjected to serious scrutiny because the whole parameters of the debate hmm. have been on, you know, you know frippery and, and awful, awful sort of demagoguery and, and racial and misogynistic stuff. So I think that the cost is that you don't have these important discussions hmm. that you need. Uh, and if you don't have the important discussions you need, you have another risk, which is that if people's very real concerns are unaddressed, then they're just going to get even angrier. And their disillusionment with the current political system is going to get even deeper. And, and their departure from the system may take place. That's, in some sense of giving up on the system. Absolutely. That's the worrying thing. And then vulnerable thing. to something else. And the UK, you mentioned Brexit. And in some sense, you know, Brexit is a very sobering tale for what can happen. It was largely a vote of anger. Uh, it was a vote of anger against the existing system. Yeah. It was not a vote for a particular kind of Brexit. Right. It was not a, not, but not now, a vote against a particular candidate. Absolutely. Now we're dealing with the consequences and we're suddenly, and this is why, you know, Britain, why the pound is tumbling and why Britain suddenly seems a rather less stable place. People, it's, re people, it's dawning on people quite how difficult this is going to be if we have what's called a hard Brexit, where we leave the single market. Right. Uh, you know, people don't know how to do that. The economic damage could be very serious. There's a sense that the, the country and the government is you know, less welcoming to foreigners. There's a sort of, you know, xenophobia is too extreme, but there is a kind of, it's not a pretty so uh, how, picture. So how serious do you fear the rise of populism in Europe, in country after country? I mean, I think it's happening. It's not even that I, I mean, I, you can see it happening. And the, the broad 
uh, theme of what's going on in European politics is that the center ground is disappearing and the populist right is becoming the main opposition in country after mm. country. Uh, and that you have a sense of this disenchantment with uh, the status quo that we were talking about is translating into a grabbing for what seem to be easy populist solutions, put up barriers, protectionism, mm. anti-immigrant sentiment. And the, the tragedy is that, you know, Charlie, that those kind of policies, that kind of approach will make everybody much poorer. And the economic damage that will be wrought by that will lead us to a much more dangerous world. Mm. But we haven't yet been able to have the debate to have the conversation about what do you do to assuage people's anger, to push back that So populism. what argument does an Economist magazine, both in terms of stories and in, I mean, in terms of, of, of editorial opinion, make for trade? What's the argument for trade? Well, you know, we were founded to fight for the cause of free trade. Yes, in 1843, we are as much the true believers as I anyone am. can be. We, we put on our cover a couple of weeks ago.